0: This morning we began a new sermon series called Swimming Upstream, Christians and Culture, drawing from Paul's letter to the Corinthians, in which he writes to a church that is trying to figure out what does it mean to survive and live in the Roman Empire. And so we listen for Paul's wisdom. The first reading this week is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at verse 10. Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be knit together in the same mind and the same purpose. For it has been made clear to me by Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you, my brothers and sisters. What I mean is that each of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize but to proclaim the gospel and not with eloquent wisdom so that the cross of Christ might not be emptied of its power. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God." I think I've mentioned before that when I was in seminary, one of my part-time jobs was a chauffeur chauffeur for a limousine service in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Contrary to popular opinion, most of the customers were ordinary folks splurging. And occasionally the wealthy people go into the symphony and out to eat. The third category would be the every once in a while celebrities who were in town. And I have no clue how it happened, but I was always the one who drove the celebrities. I drove James Michener, the novelist. I drove Phyllis Diller, the comedian. Sportscasters like Brent Musburger and Howard Cosell, he was quite a piece of work. I drove Alice Cooper and Willie Nelson. I even drove God one weekend. Well, I mean, it was George Burns, but he played God in the movies. But this week I was remembering the time I drove Abigail Van Buren, better known as Dear Abby. Now, some of you will not know this, but there used to be a thing called newspapers and they had these things called columns, and one of them was Dear Abby's column. And people would, there was no internet, they would write in for advice. You know, like maybe they're hosting a dinner party, and how should we seat people when one of the persons is an ex-husband now married to another friend? Or there's a wedding coming up and the mother-in-law's intent on ruining everything. What do we do, Dear Abby? Well, while I was driving her, She read to me a letter she'd received, and she said, I'm just totally stumped. What do you think? I don't remember what it was about, but I said, well, um, I don't know. This is kind of what I think. She said, ooh, I like that. And I was in Dear Abbey, apparently. (laughs) The Apostle Paul is not an advice columnist, but he sort of is. Here's what I mean. The letter we call 1 Corinthians is not the first letter he wrote to the church. We just don't have that one. And between that one and the one we do have, they wrote him a letter and they asked all kinds of questions, dear Paul, and they had all these questions. We don't have that one either. But what we do have is Paul responding So in the ancient world, there was this catalog of rhetorical manual, and it had 21 different kinds of letters that could be written. And one of them was called advice. Scholars think this one is advice because he's responding to their letter. But it's advice in a different sort of way. I mean, when I hear the word advice, I kind of hear it as a take it or leave it. I'm not sure that's the way Paul sees it. It's more like when a parent says to an adolescent, if you plan on going to Worlds of Fun with your friends this week, you'd better get those chores done. It's kind of advice, but it's kind of a little heavier than that. In this case, before Paul gets to the, oh, you asked about this, you asked about that, he starts with a rumor he'd heard. This woman named Chloe, her household had passed it along, that the church in Corinth was divided. He says there were divisions and quarrels. The word divisions at the time was a kind of word that people used when a garment had been ripped. And so Paul responds. In, in our day, you, you probably, you'd have to work really hard, you could probably take from what he says and make some sense of the divide in American culture. I mean, the debt ceiling crisis is bound to come around again. The red and blue states always fighting. But you'd have to do a lot of work because for Paul, he's not interested in the Roman Empire. He's interested in the church. He wouldn't for a million years dream of thinking he could solve the problems of the Roman Empire. He's talking about the church. And what had happened was, well, they'd chosen sides. They'd actually chosen sides of preachers they liked. I'm with Paul, Oh, I'm with Cephas, I'm with Apollos. And then, of course, the group who says, well, I'm with Christ. He can't fathom this, this kind of divisive thinking. It's hard for us to imagine this, and maybe some of you will remember it, but American Christianity used to be very divided along denominational lines. It's not as true anymore. For, for instance, it wasn't that long ago, if a Presbyterian family moved into a new city, they would never visit a Methodist church and vice versa because they had totally different doctrines. Nowadays, people are like, okay, it's down the street, we'll go there, but that's not to say we don't have our divisions. Ask your Episcopal friends what they think about churches that meet, have a stage and a light show and a rock band. Or ask your charismatic friends what they think about a pipe organ and robed clergy and choir. You know that there are over 200 denominations in the United States. And they're all, well not all, but many of them continuing to divide to fracture, mostly over sexuality, but we've always found something to fight about. How long will it be before someone starts a denomination for right-handed, straight, blue eyes, likes country music, but not the old kind? I heard years ago about an exhibit in the Pittsburgh Art Museum. It was a sculpture of Jesus on the cross, but with a very unique twist. He was dismembered. His body was not attached to his torso, and his limbs were not attached to his body. Paul says, has has Christ been divided? If you can imagine the pain that parents feel when their kids fight. Imagine the pain God feels. In response to this division, Paul offers advice, two pieces of advice. And they're not drawn from manners and etiquette. They're not even drawn from common sense. When Abby asked me, so what do you think? I just use common sense. Paul does not use common sense here. Because the Roman Empire's common sense is contrary to what he offers. The first thing he offers is the cross. Now, when Christians hear the cross, we, we go a hundred directions. But for Paul, in the, the letter to the Corinthians, the cross represents humility. Jesus is unfairly tried. He is unfairly executed. And he never says, wait a second, what about my rights? He lays himself down. And this is so contrary to the Roman Empire. In the Roman Empire, they don't think the meek inherit the earth. The meek get run over. In the Roman Empire, humility is a sign of weakness. But for Paul, it's virtue. So several years ago, I was one of the speakers. There were a bunch of speakers at this conference. It was up in Michigan, lasted three or four days. They had plenary sessions, small workshops, all that kind of thing. It's one of those conferences. It's really good, but it'll wear you out. And three times a day, of course, you went to the college cafeteria to have your meal, and you'd go through the line, and then you'd find one of those round tables, seats six to eight people, something like that. And one day at lunch, I was really wiped out. i just went over into a corner, hoped nobody would join me. I'm sitting there and this gentleman comes up and he says, do you mind if I join you? Oh sure, I'd love your company. So he sits down and we talk, you know, where are you from? What's your name? And I said, you know, and then I, I shared, I'm a member of the Christian church, Disciples of Christ. He said, well, I'm, I'm Presbyterian, but not that kind. At the time, Presbyterians were fighting over same-sex marriage, and he made it very clear he was opposed. Well, sitting there I had two options, fight or flight, right? Flight would be, oh, 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 I'm sorry, I see some friends over at this other table, and I was supposed to sit with them. And of course, fight would be, let's do it, come on, let's debate. But I didn't feel like fighting. And so I said to him, you know, I don't really feel like debating. We're, we're on different sides of this issue. But I think you're going to change your mind. And he said, what? And I said, I, I think you're going to change your mind. And, and, and it'll be when, like, maybe one of your grandkids comes out of the closet. And he was very moved by that. It had never occurred to him that that could happen. And we, we chatted for a long time. And I will have to tell you, I felt pretty good about that. I was pretty proud. I'd scored a point. I'd won the debate. Well, not exactly, but I'd scored a point. And I am firmly convinced of God's loving embrace of all persons, LGBTQ, all persons. But what I wonder is, what humility do I have when I hold any position in religious discussion. The second piece of advice that Paul gives has to do with baptism. (laughs) Not that part where he says, I really can't remember who all I baptize, not that part, but the meaning of it for Paul. And I was thinking about this in relation to the pastor's class. Every year as our candidates are going through the pastor's class and baptized on Palm Sunday. Tyler runs the pastor's class and that's on Wednesday nights and the kids are there and they have their sponsors and the clergy kind of rotate through. And every time I come, I tell the same story. And then I say, and I want to hear your response to this story. So here it is. This is the story I tell the kids. Some years ago, I was at a big church and they were doing baptisms that day. And the person doing them was down in the water and would introduce the person coming down. This is Jeremy. Jeremy, come on down. And then would say, now, if you are Jeremy's family or friends with Jeremy, if you could please stand. And then they would sit, and then the next one, and so on. And I told them that story. And then I said to the kids, so what do you think? And every time, every time they say, it's wrong. I go, what's wrong with it? They said. Everybody should be standing. Everybody is Jeremy's family. That's the whole point of baptism. Bingo. See, here's the thing. For Paul, baptism is not like high school graduation. If Jeremy graduates from high school and walks across, Jeremy's family stands, and when he gets through, they sit because what do they have to do with the next senior? And Jeremy's family will go to brunch with Jeremy. But baptism is not some individual thing that just happens to happen in public. It is baptism into the family of God, the whole family of God, which is why Paul can over and over say, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters. He's trying to remind them, well, what we all know, family means there's going to be a mess sometimes. But you're stuck with each other, and so you have to work through it. That's what he'll say later. In fact, I think Paul kind of imagines, what if, what if Christians could be known not as the people who are always arguing, but who care for each other? I love the story that Fred Craddock used to tell about baptisms in one of the earliest churches he served. Their tradition was to baptize on Easter Sunday, but not at the morning service they would come back in the evening and meet out at Watts Bar Lake. It was between Chattanooga and Knoxville. And as soon as they got there, Fred and the candidates would wade out out onto a sandbar, just, you know, a short distance out. The people would be sitting there and Fred would baptize them. And after they were baptized, they'd wade back Someone would hand them a towel, and they had these little booths constructed with blankets hanging, and they would change clothes and go and warm themselves by the fire. And when all of the candidates had been baptized, Fred changed, joined them there at the fire, and then Percy Miller, one of the old farmers, he would introduce the new folks, the people who'd been baptized. He'd say, here's their name, here's where they work, where they live. And then the congregation would form a circle around them. And they would introduce themselves, but they didn't say their name and where they worked and lived. They said things like this. My name is, and if you ever need someone to chop wood. My name is, and if you ever need a ride into town. My name is, and if you ever need someone to sit with the sick. My name is, and if you ever need someone to care for your kids. And after that, They had a square dance and ate supper and when the evening was over and they were kicking sand onto the dying fire, Fred just kind of sat there trying to take it all in and that old farmer said, folks do not get any closer than this. And Fred remembered, he remembered they had a name for that. He'd heard this word before but they had, he'd never heard it used like this. Their name for that is church. They call that church.